1: This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mayner, giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy.
0: What's going on, MD Nation? Welcome back to the show. Welcome to the MD's Fantasy Football Show, streaming to you live on social media at Billy Up MDFF Show, And, of course, subscribe to the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel as soon as you get the opportunity to do so. You can always check us out in your favorite pod streaming app, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Spreaker. And we'll be live tomorrow, Tuesday, with our waiver wire report. On the Unhinged Radio Network from 7 to 8 p.m. on unhingesn.airtime.pro. We'll also be streaming that live video wise at 10 a.m. on social media and on the YouTube channel. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. Join here with no one, myself, because it's Sunday recap. This is what I do. I join myself to you. I'm joined with MD Nation. That's who I'm joined with. Join with you guys. And it was an interesting week. It was the week of the backup running backs. The handcuffs have never been more valuable than they were this week. It wasn't quite the insane scoring week that it was in week five this past week, but a lot to unpack nonetheless, as you would all suspect. Let's dive into it right away. And I want to talk about, I'm to kick this thing, whole thing off with the Raiders and the Denver Broncos. The Raiders coming up big in this one. This was this was a huge win for them. It was a statement win, divisional matchup. John Gruden gone. He's out. So new coaching staff takes over. All that high emotions, all distractions from the week. And what do we have? Well, guess what? They win the game, 34-24. to Derek Carr having one of his vintage 300-yard performances, 341 yards and two touchdowns, off of 18 completions, by the way. Only 27 pass attempts for Derek Carr in this game. That's very impressive to go with almost 350 yards off of 27 pass attempts. Talk about your chunk play after chunk play in this matchup. You had Henry Ruggs, who had a 48 yarder. You had Brian Edwards, who had a 51 yarder. Uh, Darren Waller had a 33 yarder. Kenyon Drake had a 31 yarder for a touchdown. Even Hunter Renfro, who never gets past the line of scrimmage, had a 25-yarder in this game. And Josh Jacobs had his lone reception go for 29 yards. Just chunk play after chunk play after chunk play. And that Denver Bronco defense, not looking like the defense it should be, not looking like the defense it was in the first three games of the year. The second they started playing competent teams, that defense, which talent-wise, should be loaded is suddenly looking like it's a ripe opportunity for, well, really just about anybody. Now, let's talk about fantasy-wise. Henry Ruggs, three receptions, 97 yards, a touchdown on four targets. Now, again, they didn't have to throw the ball that much in this game. They got up early. They were up big in the second half. I mean, really, this score is closer than how this game actually was played out. So there's part of it there, but Brian Edwards, 24 routes run. Henry Ruggs, 25 routes run. Hunter Renfro, 22 routes run. This is, nothing's changed. My analysis on the Raiders receivers has not changed, which is all three of them are getting fed and playing equally when it comes to actual opportunities to catch the ball. Edwards, four targets. Henry, four targets. Renfro, five targets in this game. And yeah, Ruggs can hit a big one. Brian Edwards continues to play the most snaps. Hunter Renfro usually has the highest floor. I still don't think there's a Raiders receiver that you can actually key in on. If I'm going to own one, I guess it would be Henry Ruggs just because he can be a boomer bust option for you. If you need to hit a home run, he has that capability of doing so. And from the eye test, he looks better. He looks like he's starting to develop a little bit more. He looks like he's getting off the line of scrimmage much easier, which has really been his biggest problem. Since he's come into the league. He's having a hard time getting off the line of scrimmage. So he looks like he's getting better. But as it stands right now, I still want Darren Waller and nobody else. Now, let's talk about Darren Waller. Has had a few bad games. Had a crazy start against the Baltimore Ravens. Has really been kind of, you know, above average since then. But we know what his ceiling is. And he's still tied with Hunter Renfro for the most targets on the team in this matchup at five. Again, they didn't have to throw the ball that much. If you have Darren Waller, please don't panic. You still have a top three tight end on your hands. If you don't, and the owner who has Waller is sub 500 heading into week seven with a crazy bye week coming up, this is going to be the week to buy low. With the bye weeks coming up, if you're in a position where you're above 500 and you have some roster flexibility, this is going to be the week to try to take advantage of your league mates who are desperate and need a win and might not be able to fill out an entire valid roster this week. That's going to be a big thing this week. There's going to be a lot of teams out there who currently are not going to be able to fill out a legal roster because of how many teams are on bye and how many of those players might be on any one particular team. This is the week to take advantage of those type of situations. And I truly believe you can do that. Darren Waller might be one of those guys. We're not worried about anything. Nothing has changed as far as his routes run, his involvement in the offense. Better days will be ahead. Breaking down the running back scenario, Kenyon Drake gets two touchdowns in this game, one on the ground, one through the air. His usage, however, was still pathetic. Four carries, had 34 yards. Great, good job. Two receptions, 39 yards, two targets. Josh Jacobs dominate as far as playing time goes, and Kenny Drake only had 11 snaps. Now, it's impressive that he had six touches on 11 snaps for two touchdowns, but he ain't the next Cordell Patterson. Don't get it twisted. So Kenny Drake's still somebody who belongs in your waiver wire, and keep him there. There's still no reason to pick him up. What you like to see is Josh Jacobs taking back the reins, looking like he's getting healthier. He looked, to me at least, while his efficiency numbers weren't necessarily there, physically he looks better this game than he had the past couple of weeks. So I do think he's getting healthier and healthier. What we are hoping for is what we saw last week where he had five targets or take take the lead in the passing game. On a target sheet, it doesn't show up, but none of the running backs were targeted. He had one, Drake had two, Richard had one. But if you look at the route's run, Jacobs had 14 compared to Drake's 6, compared to Jalen Rashard's 5. So that means he's getting those opportunities. That's what you want to see ultimately by the end of the day. Now, of course, in this game, he gets a thrushing touchdown for you, 53 yards. Josh Jacobs, if he's going to be as involved in the passing game as the other two at the very least, I think he will be reestablishing himself as a solid RB2 who has touchdown potential every single week. And for a guy you probably draft in the third or fourth round because everybody was so down on him because of the addition of Kenyon Drake, you are definitely getting the investment back on your draft capital with Josh Jacobs moving forward as long as his usage remains the same. Nothing changes with Derek Carr. He's still a stream option in a certain matchup, but he's... He is a Jekyll and High quarterback when it comes to fantasy football purposes. He has to go over 300 yards to give you a decent fantasy day. And it's not always based on the matchup when he, when he does and doesn't do that. So he's a streaming option, but know that he's a boomer bust streaming option. and It doesn't always matter who it is that they're playing. On this, this was the naughty matchup that looked good on paper for them. On the flip side, you go to the Broncos. Teddy Bridgewater threw the ball 49 times in this game. That is not something the Broncos actually want to do. That is not the type of offense Pat Shermer wants to run with Teddy Bridgewater as a starting quarterback. Bridgewater had a tough time in this one through a lot of turnovers, three interceptions in this game was sacked five times under duress the entire game. That's not the type of ball. They want him to play. They don't want him to be aggressive. They don't want him throwing the ball 49 times. They want him managing, keeping the offense on the field and complementing the defense. That's what they want him to do. So, For the Broncos offense. I don't think there's much fantasy analysis to take from this. Because a lot of it's just you toss it up, throw it out. There's not a lot to go on. Everything's going to be pumped up number wise in this game because of, they had to play pretty much, you know, comeback ball the entire second half. They were in two minute drill, almost the entire second half in this matchup. So there's nothing really stable to take out of moving forward. However, There are a couple things that I am looking at. Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams gets 11 carries and Melvin Gordon's 10. Both were about five yards carry. Both were very efficient. Melvin Gordon getting three targets, three receptions, 23 yards. Javante Williams, three targets, three receptions, 15 yards. Here's the difference. Nothing's really changed with their usage. Melvin Gordon is still outplaying Javante Williams as far as usage wise, just a little bit. 43 snaps to 38, 29 routes run to 24. So it's just, it's still just Melvin Gordon a tick ahead of Javante Williams. We'll see how long that lasts. I'm still holding strong. If I have Melvin Gordon, I keep using him as an RB3 flex play. You could do the same with Javante Williams, but I'm not selling off Javante Williams thinking that his time is never going to come. We're just now getting to the midway point of the season. We'll start to see as the the weather changes, Melvin Gordon gets a little more nicked up. Javante Williams continues to get better, which he has been doing. That's noticeable on the field right now. It's noticeable on the tape. I think his time will certainly come. The other thing I'm paying attention to with the Denver Broncos is Cortland Sutton. Had a big game in this one, of course. But it might be time to... I can't help but wonder if it's not time to sell high on Cortland Sutton. The reason why we time to sell high on Courtland Suns, you have the immediate return coming of Jerry Judy. Tim Patrick's been involved. They just signed John Brown, although I think he did get demoted back down to the practice squad today. So we'll have to see how involved he's going to be. I'd have to think he's going to get more involved eventually. But with Jerry Judy coming back, we have always known the route tree, the role that he plays is more conducive to the type of quarterback Teddy Bridgewater is. Now, I have to say from a target-wise, routes run-wise, usage-wise, Tim Patrick will probably take a little bit more of a hit, but his role, in a weird way, kind of stays the same. When they're in three receiver sets, Jerry Judy's playing the slot, Tim Patrick will be on the outside, and Cortland Sutton will be on the other side. Judy becomes the safety blanket again, along with Noah Fant. Simpler communications. And Cortland Sutton has been a bit hit or miss even without Judy in the mix. He's had two really big games and a couple of duds where they didn't really get involved. I do wonder after a performance like this, where he gets 13 targets, eight receptions, 94 yards, and a touchdown, if this isn't the time to try to sell him for a high-end wide receiver two, maybe low-end wide receiver one, or in some sort of package deal, if you need running back packaging Cortland Sutton with something to trade up at running back. I can't help but wonder if it's time for that to happen because his base floor, his volume floor, is going to take a hit with Judy returning. And b has been kind of inconsistent so far this year as it is. Depends on what you can get, right? I'm not trying to sell off Cortland Sutton for anything. It would have to be an upgrade. Packaging with something to get an upgrade. If not, I just stay pat with him because the other caveat to that argument is that as Cortland Sutton gets stronger, because, you know, he's still coming off the knee injury. We're only midway through the season now. He could get better and more efficient even with Jerry Judy on the field. That's entirely possible, too. But it might be time to shop around, maybe see what you can get in return for Cortland Sutton. It might not be a bad idea. Noah Fan has a big one this one 11 targets, nine receptions, 97 yards, and a touchdown nothing changed. Noah offense. He doesn't suddenly move up my board any anymore than the already is. I think he's a top eight tight end. Who's going to have big games and dud games. That's what he is. So nothing here changes me for him. Tim Patrick, he finds a way to get a touchdown, six targets three receptions, 42 yards. He'll probably take the biggest hits, but he'll still be involved in the offense because there's no KJ Hamler anymore, even when Judy's back. So I think he's still somebody who hovers around that wide receiver four wide receiver five territory. And, could be a player on your team. I don't think that really changes either. So let's move on. Let's dive headfirst into the Dallas Patriot game, our overtime game, or one of our overtime games of the day. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Cowboys winning big in overtime. CeeDee Lamb having the huge monster day, the huge monster day that. CeeDee Lamb owners have been waiting for up until this point. 11 targets, 9 receptions, 149 yards, 2 touchdowns. I mean, what else could you want out of a CeeDee Lamb against New England Patriots who made it more of a priority to take Amari Cooper away? That was going to be our main question. Were they going to try to take away Cooper? Or were they going to try to take away Lamb? Or were they going to have a focus on taking away either one in particular, being that, you know, This is kind of a 1A, 1B situation. They had more of an effort taking away Amari Cooper. So Amari Cooper, guys, five receptions, 55 yards. You know, doesn't kill you. Did something, at least. It wasn't great. But eight targets in the game. Obviously, better days are ahead for Amari Cooper. I'm not worried about that. Dalton Schultz, six targets, five receptions, 79 yards. I'm pretty sure we're only maybe a couple of weeks away from a return from Michael Gallup. I've been warning you guys this for weeks. When Michael Gallup comes back, Dalton Schultz is going to be the casualty of that as far as his usage and his target share goes. So just kind of keep that in mind. Again, look to sell these guys while they have peak value, Schultz being one of those guys here as he's been consistently used every single week. And he will be until Gallup comes back. But again, that might be only a week or two away. So if you can package him in a deal, Upgrade? Maybe look to do so. Ezekiel Elliott had a great game in this one. Seven receptions, 50 yards, 17 carries for 69 yards. He doesn't score, but he gets over 100 scrimmage yards, and you love the receptions in this one. Nine targets. That's, that's, gonna be the, that's always been the big thing all season long, right? Does he get as involved in the passing game with Tony Pollard, you know, hanging around? But Tony Pollard was able to get 13 touches in his own right in this game. Three receptions, 22 yards, and then 10 carries for 41 yards. Keeping him in that RB3 conversation, week in, week out, if you need a desperate play, and you know he has the ability to hit the home run. And then, of course, I think the big MVP on the day was Dak Prescott. 51 pass attempts, completed 36 of them, 445 Passing yards, three touchdowns, one pick. Played great. Tacked on 10 yards on the ground. Played great. I mean, pretty much 450 yards passing in this game against New England Patriot defense. Once again, the Dallas Cowboys are showing they can win in multiple ways. They had to come back from behind. Patriots got up early in this game. So Dak Prescott says, hey, you know what? I'm a really good quarterback, and now I'm in a spot where I actually have to throw the ball. Hasn't really been the case the past couple of weeks. That's why I've been crying about CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper and all these guys getting consistently involved. Dak Prescott himself hasn't been big fantasy-wise. Coming through in this matchup, though. Now, he does walk away with the calf injury. From what I understand, of course, the Cowboys have their bye coming up in Week 7, one of several teams that have a bye in Week 7. Everyone seems pretty optimistic that he's going to be able to come back for Week 8. So I'm not overly concerned about that. Of course, we'll watch that. Make sure you're following us along on social media at Show. We'll keep you up to date there with any news that comes out. But we're pretty confident at this time that Dak Prescott will be okay come week eight. So, you know, the value for C.D. Lamb, the value for Amari Cooper, the value for a possible returning Michael Gallup at that point, the running game, I think everything will be okay coming out of the bye week. But we'll have to watch that as we move forward. On the Patriots' side of the ball nothing changed here for me from a fantasy perspective. I don't think anything's going to change anytime soon. Damian Harris was very impressive in this game. 18 carries for over hundred yards. He picks up a touchdown in this matchup. It was good to see him being that he was pretty much a game time decision. And this is a tough match against the Dallas Cowboys. A a lot of teams have not had a lot of success running the ball on these guys to come in there and then be that efficient, almost six yards a carry. He was very good in that game. So you feel good if you're a Damian Harris owner today. He's still a high-end RB3 for me because he's still a guy who depends completely on a pro game script and being able to run the ball effectively and you're hoping he scores. And with the Patriots, the way their offense is set up, they're probably going to be trailing in more games than they're not. So that's where he has to... He can't be anything more than a high-end RB3. If you can sell high on a Damien Harris, go for it. I don't know that you'd be able to, but this is pretty much what he is. And he'll have some nice games here and there when the game strip kind of goes more his way, when they can stick with the running game. The only thing that was kind of interesting is the the amount and the way in which Ramon J. Stevenson got involved. Now, he had the five carries, 23 yards, and a rushing touchdown, but he had three targets for 39 yards, three receptions. Brandon Bolden only had one target. Now, up until this point, Brandon Bolden had been the guy who was pretty much primarily working on third downs. And when you look at the routes run, while it was all very low for all the running backs involved, Ramondre Stevenson had nine, the Brandon Bolden seven, Damian Harris had four. So he led the way in routes run. I wonder if the Patriots are starting to be like, hey, you know what? We can't keep screwing around. Our offense is terrible. We got to have our best players out there on the field more times than not. Ramondre Stevenson is light years more talented than Brandon Bolden will ever be. So I do wonder if this backfield may start to morph into a Damian Harrison, a Damian Harris, excuse me, and a Ramondre Stevenson backfield. Where Stevenson would be more of the pass catching back because he has that, believe it or not, for as big as he is, if you didn't watch this guy in college in Oklahoma, he he has that skill set. For a big guy, he's good at pass protection and he's got soft hands. That's one of the reasons I liked him so much. It's one of the reasons why he was one of my sleeper running backs coming out in this draft, why well, I thought he might be able to make an impact, especially for a New England Patriot team, if the opportunity were to arise. So that I'm going to have my eye on. We'll see if that trend continues. If it does, Stevenson might be some, might become somebody in PPR leagues who winds up being an RB3. We'll keep our eyes on that. But that was definitely something of interest to me. As far as receivers go, look, Kendrick Bourne had the big you know touchdown, and that was his only target, his only catch of the game. Jacoby Myers is a fine, high-floor, wide receiver three continues not to find the end zone six catch or six targets for five receptions and 44 yards in this game. Not as high of a floor as you were hoping for against Dallas, but this game script didn't quite go the way we all expected it to either. We thought Dallas would lead for most of this game. and They didn't take over and didn't wind up winning. It's all overtime, but Myers is still a high end wide receiver three. Go to the tight ends and Hunter Henry is still the guy that you want to own in new England. If you want to own a tight end in New England? He scores a touchdown here. But it's only two targets, two receptions, 25 yards. Janu Smith only had two targets for one catch and nine yards. Smith played three more snaps, but nine more routes run for Hunter Henry. So he's he's the fantasy tight end. I don't know why Janu Smith's only allowed to be a blocker, but Hunter Henry is the fantasy tight end. That's who you want to have. Let's skip ahead to the or skip behind to the Arizona-Cleveland game. We had to start the Cleveland side of the ball, so this this whole thing got out of whack. Baker Mayfield, and they play on Thursday, so that's, that's the big thing. Baker Mayfield, they're not ruling him out. He had an MRI. Uh, apparently, there's some talk that they want to get a second opinion, or Stefanski wants a second opinion before he decides whether or not it's Baker Mayfield or Case Keenum as the starting quarterback in Thursday Night Football. It was a nasty hit that Baker took. And he landed very awkwardly on what was already a banged up shoulder going into the game. Now, again, it's still his non throwing shoulder, but that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt like hell and it's not going to affect him while he's on the playing field. So we're going to have to watch that as we move forward. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if Baker Mayfield is not able to go and we do wind up having Case Keenum. I got a question here from Dan on Facebook. Need a thought on a trade: Eckler for Adams. Straight up, who wins? Honestly, Dan, uh, this just really just matters on what you need more. You know, who needs a running back more? Who needs a wide receiver more? Eckler has been a top three running. Actually, I think I think he's still RB two even after the poor performance uh, yesterday. And Devontae Adams is on a target pace that could put him at like 200 targets by the end of the year. So it's two elite guys. It really just matters, do you need a running back more or do you need a wide receiver more? I don't think anybody wins or loses in that deal. Uh, But thank you for tuning in, Dan. I hope you tune in again soon. Carrying on with the Browns game. So then we have Kareem Hunt. You know, big time. Was in my top five. No Nick Chubb in this matchup. Knew they were going to lean on him heavily in this game. Thought it might be some gusts of wins. They might check it down in the short game quite a bit. Might be very involved in the passing game. He made it pretty much the entire game. He didn't get hurt until later on. but. Calf injury, he's on the IR. The The narrative seems to be more like four to six weeks, so while he has to miss at least the first three games, it sounds like it's going to be more than that. It could be double that, especially if it's a pretty severe calf injury, which, I mean, puts the Cleveland Browns in a hell of a pickle because now you have Nick Chubb, dealing with his calf injury. Now, obviously not as severe as what Kareem Hunt just suffered on Sunday because now Stefanski is saying, well, Nick Chubb's actually progressing very well and didn't want to officially rule out Nick Chubb this week. Now, for you Nick Chubb owners out there, I would be shocked. And I actually have some Chubb shares myself. I would be shocked if Chubb was out there Thursday night. And obviously, we'll talk about more about De'Aaron Johnson, Demetrius Felton uh, in the show tomorrow at 10 a.m., on social media, at Billy MDF, have shown on the MD San Diego Show YouTube channel. We'll talk more about that then, because of course we'll be talking about them during the waiver wire report. But I'd be shocked if you played. The good news that you take out of this is that he's progressing well, and when he inevitably misses this game in week seven, he'll come back, hopefully week eight, get the long layoff, get the 10-day layoff until their next game, and be able to come back with no Kareem Hunt for possibly a month, maybe even longer. And I mean, Nick Chubb, he's been a top five running back with Kareem Hunt out there. So now the big thing that we've all wanted is what happens if Nick Chubb fully gets unleashed? He's going to have that opportunity. I'm especially going to be excited to see if by default they allow him to be more involved in the passing game with no Kareem Hunt hanging around. And of course, all the red zone carries would go to him. All the red zone opportunities that Kareem Hunt was getting would go to Nick Chubb. So we might be seeing the beginnings of a you know, a top three running back while Kareem Hunt is out. Now, of course, the key to that would be don't rush him back. Don't pull a Christian McCaffrey where you're having him out there practicing sooner than he should be. You winds up having a setback and then we're all screwed because Dearness Johnson ain't nearly as much fun as watching a Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt out there run around. So I don't want him, even as a Nick Chubb owner, I don't want him to come back this Thursday. Unless that calf injury is really minor, and I don't see how it would be being that he didn't practice at all last week. I just there's no reason to chance it. Because here's what's gonna happen: you put Nick Chubb out there out of desperation because now you're three and three and you're trying to win ball games, you're playing against the Denver Broncos, you wind up leaning on him way hev- more heavily than you should because Kareem Hunt's not around, and you wind up having no running backs down, they're both on the IR. That would be my worst-case scenario. That would be the worst-case scenario for a Nick Chubb. The best-case scenario, you have him sit week seven, comes back week eight totally healthy, and now he's got nothing but upside in front of him for, like I said, at least the next month. So that's what you want as Nick Chubb owner. I don't think you want him to play in this game unless that calf injury is really, really t- getting taken care of. We'll see exactly what happens on Thursday. As far as the wide receivers go, Donovan Peoples-Jones, you know, he has the big game, four receptions, 100 yards, two touchdowns, five targets. He's been, you know, it's been the every other week type of thing is where he's involved in the offense. Donald Peoples-Jones is irrelevant. does not somebody you want to pick up. I don't really want to own a Cleveland's receiver, period. Remember, you got Jarvis Landry, probably will be back by at least by week eight. I don't know if he comes back right away because they play the Thursday game. I think that this game is on Sunday. I think Jarvis Landry would definitely be back. We'll see. I think he does have a shot to suit up. But when Jarvis Landry gets put back in the mix and OBJ is healthy, well, nobody else outside of those two receivers are going to be worth anything. And even in OBJ's case, I don't know what he's worth. He has five receptions for 79 yards and eight targets in a game in which Cleveland was trailing from behind and they had to throw the ball. Now, someone had the ball 31 times, threw the ball 31 times because Cleveland barely had the ball on offense in this game. But this has basically been like what? OBJ's best performance, essentially eight targets, five receptions, 79 yards. It used to be a floor game for him. Jarvis Landry comes back. The only thing that's going to keeping OBJ alive fantasy-wise at all is because he has been getting targeted at a healthy rate. Even if he hasn't been hitting, you can still point to the usage and just say, well, they are trying to get him involved. Look, between his name and the fact that he had an okay game here, if you could package him and sell him off for anything that helps your team, do it. Do it. Don't hang around for Jarvis Landry to come in there and all of a sudden OBJ's you know normal pace of game is three receptions for 20 yards. That has a real possibility of happening here. So just keep that in mind. Here's what I will say on the flip side, though. Let's say Nick Chubb can't play. And let's say he can't play week seven. Let's say he can't play week eight either. And Kareem Hunt's out. They're not just going to... you know, With Dearnes Johnson, Demetric Felton, however that breaks down... They're not going to have the same usage as those, as Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. They will have to throw the ball a bit more. So when the receivers might be a bit more valuable, we'll have to see how that all plays out. But sell off if you can sell off OBJ at all and you're holding them, do it. Find a way to get something that's actually valuable to your team. Find a way. I beg of you. Find a way. On the Arizona Cardinals side of things, Kyler Murray had an incredibly, incredibly efficient day. Incredibly efficient day. Dan's asking me uh, who the better pickup for the Browns. I won't be able to listen. Well, first of all, Dan, I want you to know, you can always catch this show on your favorite pod streaming app. So even if you can't listen to the show live, you can still listen to it whenever you get the opportunity to on iTunes, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Spreaker, wherever. So you can you can still listen to the episode tomorrow, and I, I beg you to do so. But I will answer your question. Dearness Johnson's the guy you want to pick up. He will definitely be the lead ball carrier. Now, how the split works out between him and Felton when it comes to the passing game, that will remain to be seen. But here's what I will say. While Felton's very explosive, he's not a good pass protector. So I do wonder how much trust they're going to have with him being out there on all the third downs, let's say. And Dearness Johnson, over the years when they've called upon him, has been able to help them out in a three down style territory. So he's the one you want to have. But Felton is somebody who's still of interest to in me, especially in full point PPR leagues, because I do think he'll have somewhat of a role at the very least in the passing game. But that that's what I would say to you. But then again, go ahead, check us out, subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting streaming app. So you can always listen to us even when you can't catch us live. Don't worry, Dan, we're always available for you. Okay. So talking about the Arizona Cardinals, the Kyler Murray coming in with an incredibly efficient day, 20 of 30, 229 yards, four passing touchdowns. I mean, it was really easy for the Arizona Cardinals in this game against the Cleveland Browns. Now their defense is still banged up, but they still should be playing better than this. Now you have two games back-to-back where the Chargers drop 47, Cardinals come in, drop 37. All of a sudden, Cleveland Browns look like a leaking faucet on defense. That's something they're going to have to correct. Now, they might have a better time of doing it against Denver with Teddy Bridgewater in an offense that's kind of anemic in its own right. But that's something to watch, too, and until they get healthy. Murray only had six yards on the ground, but does what you need you to do for a fantasy perspective. A.J. Green gets involved here. Five receptions, 79 yard and a touchdown, six targets. Christian Kirk. Five receptions, 75 yards, a touchdown on eight targets. Rondell Moore, the odd man out, with three receptions, 16 yards on four targets. And as I said last week, don't get too excited about Rondell Moore having finally run a couple more routes than Christian Kirk had for the first time all year. Went right back where Rondell Moore was strictly the fourth receiver on this team, which more times than not, he will be. The problem we're starting to have here is that I don't know when the Christian Kirk and Rondell Moore breakouts going to happen. I keep anticipating at some point this season, they're going to overtake A.J. Green, but A.J. Green's been doing well enough that he doesn't, unless he gets hurt, he might not go anywhere. They've used him in the red zone. They've used that big body of his to move the change and throw jump balls to. Kyler Murray seems to like to have him as a, you know, that secondary safety blanket to when DeAndre Hopkins isn't necessarily wide open. That seems to be what's happening right now. And as a result of that, and, Last week, I think, kind of topped it off. If you go to com, you go to my rankings, you'll see last week I had A.J. Green, Christian Kirk, and Rondell Moore all in the 40-50 range, all as wide receiver fours, wide receiver fives. You never know which one it's going to be, and they all have about the same usage when it comes to routes run. So they're all guys in a week seven. Are they going to be a little bit tantalizing? Yeah, maybe. I would still say Rondale Moore still has the most upside of the three, but he also has the most risk because he's still the guy who's getting left out more times than not when it comes to the overall usage of play. DeAndre Hopkins got back on track a little bit in this game, gets the two touchdowns, but you still don't really love the usage for DeAndre Hopkins. He only had four targets in this game, three receptions, 55 yards. He he gets you the two scores, so he gets back to being a wide receiver one fantasy-wise. But here's the problem. Hawkins used to be a target monster. He hasn't been one because now they have all these other weapons. And let's not forget, Zach Ertz, he's about to be here this week. He'll get worked in. He'll get some targets himself. Remember, Max Williams was getting like five to seven targets before he got injured. So now you'll throw him in the mix. Chase Edmonds hasn't been that involved the past two weeks as much as he was before, before he had the shoulder injury. Eventually, he'll get back involved the way he was in the beginning of the year as well. It's a lot of mouths to feed. So DeAndre Hopkins, he's going to hover closer to that low-end receiver one area, maybe even wind up being more of a high-end wide receiver too. we We'll have to see what happens. But if you can sell Hopkins, let's say, for a top-five receiver, might want to think about doing so. I don't think he's going to have the wide receiver one floor every single week like we're used to him having because there's so many mouths to feed in this offense now. Now, thankfully, they go up tempo, which helps, but still. Speaking of Chase Edmonds and James Conner, I do think that shoulder is playing a role because he was just as involved in the running game and, of course, way more involved in the passing game before he had his shoulder injury now two weeks ago. And then the last two weeks, all of a sudden, you see James Connors dominating the carries. In this game, he had 16, The Chase Edmonds' four. And even Connor, while he had one target, and Chase Edmonds had three, they still were actually almost dead even in routes run. Connor had 11 routes run, Chase Edmonds had 12. So I think this is a case of Chase Edmonds is a little bit banged up. And then also, yeah, on the fact, the game script here. The Cardinals dominated from the get-go. So, they're able to just kind of like grind the clock out, give the ball to Connor, wear it down the team. And he's going to be that, that four-minute running back and the red zone running back. That's going to be his role. So, it's a combination of Edmonds not being 100% healthy yet and this game script favoring a James Connor. So, don't get too discouraged if you're Chase Edmonds' owner. I still think he is a low-end RB2, high-end RB3 more times than not but they need pro game scripts for him, passing game scripts for him, and he needs to get more healthy, which maybe he will be by next week. So I'm not overly concerned there, but it is something to watch over the past couple of weeks. Maybe he has a little bit of a lower floor heading into week eight than you were initially valuing him at, and we'll see where he comes out in my rankings when I do them later on this week. Let's talk about one more game before we hit the break. Let's talk about the Houston Texans, the Indianapolis Colts, so T.Y. T- Hilton, he comes back. I didn't think he was going to play right away. He did. I wasn't sure what his usage was going to be. It was actually pretty decent. Now he picks up the quad injury, and they don't seem to know if he's actually going to be available for week seven as of now. So he is somebody we're going to have to watch on the waiver wire report. Played 24 snaps, so he, he was still on a snap count because he played about half the snaps roughly of a Zach Pascal and a Michael Pittman. But he only had three less routes run than Pascal did, about seven less than Michael Pittman. So when he was out there, they were utilizing him. He had four targets. He had the most targets on the team. Now, again, Carson Wentz only threw the ball 20 times in this game because, you know, playing the Houston Texans, you don't got to be all that aggressive all the time. But he looked pretty good. Now, I know he's against Houston, and he always seems to look good against Houston. But still, this is a guy who was getting down the field. He had a 52-yarder in this game. Paris Campbell... We still don't actually know the exact injury yet. All we know is that it's a significant foot injury. Kind of sounds like he's going to miss a lot of time, if not the season. Again, we still don't know exactly, but definitely going to miss some weeks. But Paris Campbell's going to be out. They're going to need T.Y. Hilton even more because you take away T.Y. Hilton, there's no speed, no explosion on that offense outside of Jonathan Taylor whatsoever, but none amongst the pass catchers. So Hilton's going to need to be out there for that role. and he's going to make everybody better. If you actually have a deep threat option, you can't just sit there and squeeze the Colts' offense which is what's been happening up until this point. It'll make Carson Wentz better. It'll make the passing game in general more efficient. It'll help out the running backs, get the extra safety out of the box. The only person it might not help is Michael Pittman for obvious reasons. Obviously, if T.Y. Hilton's back there, it may take away from the targets and that high floor, that high wide receiver three floor that Pittman has had without T.Y. Hilton there because he's been the number one receiver. Now, in this game, yeah, he had three targets to Hilton's four, which is why we that's an indication that that could be the case. But again, I go back to Carson Wentz only threw the ball 20 times in this game. So I don't think we get a real clear indicator off of one game in this situation, in this game script. It's going to be something to watch, though. Now, again, if T.Y. Hilton doesn't play, we may not know. But keep your eyes on that. Jonathan Taylor, of course, was fantastic in this game. 14 carries, 145 yards, two touchdowns, breaking off 83 yarders. Looks fantastic. Had two targets, one reception, 13 yards in this game. And because this wasn't a passing game, Naeem Hines wasn't very involved in this game. Marlon Mack got some carries at the end. But Taylor's playing like like an RB1 right now. The only thing I... I'm a little annoyed by is that he only had 14 carries when you consider how this game went. So again, the overall usage, I think, just caps his ceiling on a week-to-week basis to some degree. But he's showing his explosiveness the past couple of weeks. The game is slowing down for him just a bit. He's a dangerous runner. He might be the closest thing to Derrick Henry, at least from a physical standpoint that we have, where he's a big boy and can run. Now, he's not quite as big as Derrick Henry, but I think he's faster than Derrick Henry. So if he can just get his usage up a little bit, targets up a little bit, I think he will maintain his RB1 status from week to week to week. But you're still going to be running the risk for now that any given moment, it could be a Naeem Hines game. Or if they don't wind up trading Marlon Mack, he could get 8-10 to 10 carries in any given game because this is Frank Reich and it's what he does. So he's still running that risk, but you like where Jonathan Taylor, Taylor is trending. And you look at that call schedule coming up. Very, very juicy for Jonathan Taylor in particular. Very, very juicy. Football over the Houston side of the ball. And uh, yeah, Davis Mills went back to being Davis Mills. 29-43. of 43, 243 yards. No touchdowns. Two interceptions. All you care about The Brandon Cooks get the ball? The answer is yes. 13 targets, 9 receptions, 89 yards. Brandon Cooks continues to be a low-end wide receiver 2, high-end wide receiver 3 with a high floor. And he has some explosiveness to his game too, so he can always kind of have a little bit of upside to go along with him. But he's a guy I'm continuing to start every single week when the matchup dictates. If it's a defense that allows, you know, passing points, fantasy wide receiver points, you can play them. But if they go up against the defense, you know, that can just tear Davis Mills apart. Then you're in a little bit of a rough, rough situation. What you're looking forward to if you're a Brandon Cooks owner is that Tyra Taylor may be on his way back. I don't know if it's going to be this week or not. They weren't clear. But he may be a week or two away from returning. You'll feel a lot better because Taylor's actually an NFL quarterback. Unlike Davis Mills. He's not. So you want Taylor to come back in and take over the reins as soon as humanly possible. All right, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna hit a quick break. When we come back on the other side, we still have more games to break down from the Sunday afternoon matchups. So everybody stay tuned with the MD's fantasy football show. And we'll be back with you guys. right after this where you're betting at is just as important as who you are betting on that's why I always tell people to put your money down at my book the Arizona Cardinals have come out to a hot start the Chiefs have as many losses as they did last year and with all the overs hitting in the dying seconds of a game there's never been a better time to get in on the action Thankfully, my bookies lock of the season has returned for the Las Vegas Seattle NHL opening game. When either team scores in the game, you win. You heard that right. When the lamp lights red, you get the bread. Take the easy win, pat yourself on the back, and use your winnings toward your NFL picks for week six, which includes a battle between two potential Super Bowl contenders when the Cardinals meet the Browns. Don't miss out on a winning season. Head to my bookie and use my promo code MDFANTASY and you'll get double your first deposit. That's a promo code MDFANTASY so you can get double your funds to double your winnings to double the prizes bet anything anytime anywhere with my bookie
1: you're listening to the md's fantasy football show
0: welcome back to the program md nation you are listening or watching the md's fantasy football show on social media at billyup md show and of course on the md's fantasy football show youtube channel as always i'm your host dan mater We're talking about the week six Sunday afternoon recap. Tomorrow we'll have, of course, the primetime matchup recaps, the Sunday night game, the Monday night game, which is ongoing now as of, you know, playing live on the show, along with, of course, the waiver wire report. And that'll be on at 10 a.m. on Tuesday on social media and on YouTube. And then it'll be on again from 7 to 8 p.m. on the Unhinged Radio Network at unhingedsn.airtime.pro. Always a million ways to see the show. Love it. Every day for you guys, MD Nation. All right, so let's dive into the Washington-Kansas City Chiefs game. This game was actually looking eh, a little leery for the Chiefs in the first half. Washington was up 13-10. to 10, And the Chiefs offense was looking as sporadic as it had been up until this point in that entire first half. Then they went into halftime. Made some adjustments. And Andy Reid remembered, you know what? Even if my ground game is not particularly efficient, it's still important to pose a threat to run. It's still important to give Patrick Mahomes play action capabilities, which he's had none because there's been zero threat of a running game pretty much this entire year out of the Kansas City Chiefs. When they run, it's, it's a shock. Gets 21 carries to Darrell Williams. Now, again, it wasn't efficient. 62 yards off of 21 carries at 3 yards a carry. Patrick Mahomes tacked on 31 yards on the ground for himself. We'll talk about Mahomes in a second. But Darrell Williams had two rushing touchdowns. And because of that, they had a little bit more balance in the second half, and suddenly the Chiefs' offense Drops 21 in the second half, and looks like they got a little bit back on track. Now, the matchup helps to some degree because Washington's been absolutely horrible, especially against passing attacks. But they look like they got back to getting somewhat of an identity and somewhat of a flow in their play calling in that second half. We need to see that continue. Now, if that does continue, this is where we start to talk about Darrell Williams a little bit and his two-touchdown performance in this game. They were already getting Williams worked in in the red zone the last couple of weeks before Clyde edwards laird got hurt. And I was saying all year, I was saying this in the offseason, that I thought at some point this season, we could see Darrell Williams completely just take over that role. Because Clyde edwards Lair is not very good in the red zone, period. Not powerful enough. And he's not fast enough to combat that. Not quick enough. So he's not great in the red zone. Can't use him. Darrell Williams, however, he's big. He's powerful. He can fall forward for three yards, and that's all you need him to do in this offense. So I think Darrell Williams is a solid RB2 until Clyde edwards Lair comes back. Here's what's very interesting. Williams had 30 routes run this game, four targets. So we were kind of curious, you know, Jarek McKinnon, was he going to be the de facto pass-catching back? And he played in this game. 25 snaps, 18 routes run, two targets, three carries. But it was Darrell Williams who was the workhorse, basically. Because he had 30 routes run, four targets, 20 carries in this game. He acted as though he was a workhorse who gets red zone opportunities and converts them on a Chiefs offense that is better than what they played like thus far, to this point, at least. So Darrell Williams in a lot of ways, is going to have a higher floor-to-ceiling ratio than Clyde Edwards-Lair has had. It's weird, but it's true. They obviously trust him in the vital areas that you need to be able to trust a running back to get his fantasy points. Hey, take it while you can get it. When Clyde Edwards-Lair comes back, here's the problem. For you CEH owners... Throw Williams ain't losing his red zone role. That's not going to happen. So not that Clyde edwards is getting you touchdowns anyway, but he might not even have the possibility anymore when he comes back. That's the thing that you're going to have a problem with, which would make him nothing more than an RB3. That's going to be tough when you drafted this guy to be a very high-end RB2 at the very least. So there's somebody who maybe has Darrell Williams and just wants to have the Chiefs backfield moving forward, if you can sell CEH off or something valuable to your team, you might want to look into doing so. Give a peek see. see what you can get. Because I don't know exactly if he's going to have a very good role when he comes back. Not saying he's going to lose the job. Not saying he's not going to be starting running back anymore. But I'm telling you right now, he's not getting that red zone opportunity back. And Darrell Williams may cut into his other workload a little bit more. depending on how these next two more weeks go at the very minimum. Now, Mahomes was great. He got back on track, 397 yards, passing, 32 of 47, two touchdowns. Did still have the two picks, still throwing a lot of interceptions this year. Now, one of them wasn't his fault. One of them hit Tyreek Hill's hands and went right to the defender, so that that wasn't really on Mahomes. But still, it's been kind of a rough year for him when it comes to turnovers. However, he gets the ball to who you need to give him the ball to. 8 receptions, 99 yards, 11 targets for Travis Kelsey. Tyreek Hill, 9 receptions, 76 yards, a touchdown on 12 targets. Didn't really have his Tyreek Hill-like game where he goes all these big plays, but he was definitely a little bit limited in this game. Now, the good news is I didn't hear anything about him having a setback with the quad contusion that he was dealing with, but he was definitely a little bit limited when you actually look at the usage. He had 47 snaps to the Marcus Robbins' 57 he had eight more, he had eight less routes run than Robinson, six less routes run than Miko Hardman. There was a drive in which he completely just set out the entire drive. I believe it was either towards the end of the first half or the beginning of the second half. He made it through the entire game and he had 12 targets. I mean, he was the leading targeted receiver. So when he was out there, Mahomes was going to him and he looked, he looked good enough. He didn't look quite like Tyreek Hill, but he looked good enough. Again, Didn't hear anything about him having a setback. So that's really all you care about with Tyreek Hill after this game. But something to watch there with the running backs and watching this offense play call and get back on track. Even if that running game is not efficient, you got to give Mahomes the ability to play action. Make his life a little easier. Now we go to Washington's side of the ball. And again, I totally came off of Taylor Heineke once I heard Terry McLaurin was hurt. And even though McLaurin played in this game, you knew he wasn't going to be his normal self. And that was not going to allow T- Taylor Heineke to be the streamer that going into the week, we all kind of thought he might be given the chief's offense defense and how they've played as of late. Give McClure a lot of credit, man. He had eight targets in this game, walks away with just four receptions for 28 yards. I don't know how you pick up a hamstring injury halfway through the week and still be able to play on Sunday. And he played all four quarters. And from what I understand, he didn't suffer any setbacks either. Had the most snaps, 56, most routes run, 38, so that's good news for Terry McLaurin owners. Better days are ahead, and he seems to be healthy enough to be out there for a full workload. So that's that's the good news. Obviously, he didn't get the game that you wanted in this one, but for the long term, I'd rather know that Terry McLaurin is going to be out there, which he will be. Gibson, however, we don't know. We don't know. He had the MRI, re the shin injury, maybe picked up a calf injury on top of it. He's somebody we're going to have to watch in practice. Now, I can tell you right now at the top of my head, he's not going to practice on Wednesday because he hasn't been doing that anyway. So we're really not going to know anything, I think, until Thursday when it comes to Antonio Gibson. But if he can't go, yes, there will be some kind of rotation between J.D. McKissick and a Jarrett Patterson, but I don't think it's going to be like a 50-50 workload. Or I don't think it's going to be Patterson, you know, gets 50% of the carries and McKissick is 50% and McKissick was the main pass catch. No, I don't know. I think you're going to see McKissick essentially be the workhorse guy, at least, you know, snap wise, usage wise, and Patterson will get mixed in. But McKissick will be an RB2 because of how much he's already involved in the passing game. You take away Antonio Gibson, you give him extra snaps on top of it, you give him extra carries to go with his involvement in the passing game. We're talking about an RB2. And he was actually good in the ground this game, now good. Again, good matchup. Eight carries, forty-five yards, a little over five yards to carry. He was the leading receiver on the day because Taylor Heineke was just dumping it down pretty much all game long. Eight receptions, sixty-five yards, ten targets. I'm not going to talk anymore about our you know our frustrations that Antonio Gibson doesn't get involved in the passing game, especially wasn't going to happen now that he's banged up. This this is what it is. Now, if Gibson's healthy, McKissick is still the you know, flexible player. You can maybe flex him if you think that the game strip going to go a certain way, but you still need the game strip to go a certain way. That's if they're both out there. If they're not, the Kissick, he's a must start. He's a must start if Gibson's not going to be out there. He's going to have one hell of a floor with the passing work that he gets. And that's not going to disappear with Jared Patterson. I'm going to guarantee that right now. Ricky Seals Jones, Adam ranked as a top 10 tight end. He came through four receptions, 58 yards, gets the touchdown on six targets. Look, he's the third pass catcher. It's McLaurin, it's McKissick, and then it's Ricky Seals-Jones. I think we still have at least another two weeks of Logan Thomas being out. So until then, Seals-Jones is a must-start. He's a top-10 tight end in this offense because just the target consolidation that is this offense right now. And he's a good pass-catching tight end. He's a better pass-catching tight end than he's a blocking tight end. So he runs pretty much every route. They don't really have him back there trying to block extra. They'd rather have him as a glorified receiver on the field, especially since they need tar- They need pass catchers anyway. If you were wondering who the second receiver was, it was Diami Brown. He came back this game, 47 snaps, 30 routes run, 5 targets. Still fantasy irrelevant. Plain and simple. Just fantasy irrelevant. This is not a good offense. Let's move into our next matchup. Let's talk about the Carolina Panthers and Minnesota Vikings in this one. Let's start on the Panthers' side of the ball. So, again, they continue their losing streak without Christian McCaffrey, but he's going to be out for at least the next two weeks because they had to put him on the IR. This is where it's getting a little weird. Chuba Hubbard comes in. Okay, so that, the first week he plays, Rodney Smith acts as the passing down back. So Hubbard gets his you know his targets cut that we were thought he might get. So we lower Hubbard down in the rankings a little bit and his value because we're like, oh, we don't know if he's really involved in the passing game. Second week, he gets a Christian McCaffrey-level workload where he's the pure pass catcher and runner, and he's getting all the volume, and he does really, really well. So, okay, we bump him up in this game. Like, all right, you're going to throw him the ball now. Cool. And in this game, all of a sudden, it wasn't Rodney Smith, but Royce Freeman pretty much acted as the third down back, the two-minute drill back in this game. Let me just tell you, look, Royce Freeman and Malcolm Brown, they're the same player. They're okay at blocking... They're okay at a little bit of everything. They're big physical backs who don't really move well. Don't really do anything well with the ball in their hands, quite frankly. Can we not waste our time? Chihuahua Hubbard, when he got a full workload was very good. And with Hubbard, he's very explosive. Outside of DJ Moore right now, I don't know how many good playmakers you actually have because Sam Darnold, Robbie Anderson can't hook up to save their lives. We'll talk about that in a second, in a little bit more detail. Stop screwing around with Royce Freeman, who runs like, you know, one mile an hour at this point. Just stick with Hubbard getting the full workload. Then we have a a valuable fantasy asset, but then you can run more towards your offense. Now, today, Matt Rule came out and said, we need to re-identify ourselves on offense, and that will include running the ball more. So, it does sound like to me that the idea is to get Hubbard more involved and, and more usage, and I do think he's a, he's at least a solid RB2, and I do think he has low-end RB1 upside if they start throwing him the ball consistently. So he's still going to be a must-play, obviously, every single week, but it's just a matter of where is that value really at? Where is that ceiling at? So this is the problem. Hubbard technically ran more routes run. He had 23 to where stream 15, but it's when they came. It came in situations where Hubbard would have been able to take more advantage of, and you would expect them to in a game in which Carolina had to come back from behind. We'll see what happens next week. We still don't. There's not enough here to go to know that there's a trend one way or another yet. We'll have to see exactly what happens next week and reevaluate that. Other, but for now, all you need to know is Hubbard is a must play and expect him to be an RB two. DJ Moore. I mean, look, this game. Sam Darnold was terrible. I mean, there's two games in a row now where Darnold's looking like the Jets Darnold all over again. Seventeen of forty-one. So the attempts were there. Therefore, the targets were there, but again, only 17 completions, so the actual productivity was not there. So, DJ Moore gets, you know, five receptions from his 13 targets, 73 yards in this game, doesn't score. Robbie Anderson had 11 targets. They were by far the most, most targeted players on the team. 11 targets, three receptions, 11 yards. He does score, with three receptions, 11 yards, on 11 targets. That's pathetic. It's ridiculous how Darnold doesn't seem to be able to hit him at all, considering, you know, the whole team play thing. He himself only had 270 yards passing, a touchdown, and an interception this game. Darnold's been horrible. So they're gonna have to figure something else out. I think that's why Matt Roll came out and said it's gonna have to include more running and re their offense. Pretty much AKA saying we're taking the ball out of Sam Darnold's hands if we can help it. Because he is what I thought he was. Flip over to the Minnesota side, because nothing really changes as far as wide receivers go for the Panthers. You're playing DJ Moore, he's still a, a wide receiver one in my mind, and Robbie Anderson belongs near waiver wire. So you are the Vikings side, and Kirk Cousins lit this whole thing up. That was a back-and-forth game. Vikings had a big third quarter, took the lead. This game went in overtime. Big chunk plays there for Kirk Cousins. 373 yards, three passing touchdowns, and Adam Thielen getting back into good graces of fantasy owners for 11 receptions, 126 yards, a touchdown on 13 targets. I heard some people talking about is Adam Thielen a sell-high candidate. I don't know that he is. I think Adam Thielen is just Adam Thielen. He's a wide receiver, too, who needs a touchdown to have a big game. Now, in this one, he happened to have a lot of work. He did have the touchdown, but he had a lot of work outside of the touchdown. But typically speaking, he's a guy who's going to, if he gets in the end zone, he's going to be a wide receiver, too, for you. If he doesn't, he might bust. That's just what he is. I don't know what you're selling him high for. I mean, I guess there's always a scenario. There's always a trade out there. There's always somebody you can find that. You know, you can always trade up with and some sort of package deal, I suppose, with a player who's coming off a big week like Adam Thielen is. But I wouldn't necessarily put him in my sell high category because I don't think this was his, you know, best game of the year. And I don't think these games can't continue for him. They're just going to be hit or miss. But we already knew this about Adam Thielen going into the season anyway. So I don't think he's, you know, going to have less value the rest of the year necessarily. That's why he's not a sell high for me. Justin Jefferson, honestly, Jefferson, I wouldn't be surprised if you're a little bit disappointed off of 14 targets watching Adam Thielen have this huge game that you only wound up with eight receptions for 80 yards. Especially since Jefferson's supposed to be the big play guy, not not Adam Thielen. but, you know, whatever. It happens. K.J. Osborne finding his way back into the fantasy box score here. Six receptions, seven, eight yards, a touchdown on seven targets. Him and Conklin are going to go back and forth as far as which one is going to really be utilized. And Minnesota, typically speaking, isn't in too many of these situations where Kirk Cousins has to throw the ball 48 times. So that's the other issue here. One thing I did want to point out, though, in this game, especially on Conklin's side, 42 routes run. 42 routes run is an insane number for a tight end. So I he didn't have a huge game here? He had the four targets, three receptions, 71 yards. He had a nice game. And he loved the usage. So he's going to continue to be in that top 16 tight ends for me, which means he's going to be a streaming option any given week. Now the Vikings go on bye in week seven. So this is neither here nor there for next week, but something to keep in mind when they come out of the bye into week eight. You're really, really happy. Dalvin cook came back in this game was hundred percent healthy. 29 carries 140 yards and a touchdown. Is it frustrating that, they don't throw him the ball the way they throw Alexander Madison the ball when he comes in. Yeah, it's frustrating as hell, and it doesn't make any sense. But ultimately, all you really want at the end of the day is a healthy Dalvin Cook. And clearly, that's what you have when you get a guy who has 31 touches overall is a healthy running back. And then he gets to go in the bye week, rest up a little bit more, come back in week eight, be a top three back the rest of the way, and hopefully not have another stint with the injury bug again. Nothing changed for Cousins. He has a big game here. Yeah, sure. But we know this out of Kirk Cousins. He's going to have big games. He's a streaming option because he's going to have a lot of bust games too. It's going to be about 50-50. So you pick your spots with him, but his value overall doesn't change from any standpoint. So now let's talk about the Cincinnati Bengals, the Detroit Lions. Detroit looked bad. So up until this point, I thought the Lions had battled everybody, kept games close scrappy, were in it. Yes, of course they were outgunned. Yes, of course they were not the more talented team, but they just seem to always find a way to be in it at the end. This was the first game they truly got blown out and never really had a chance from the get-go. Now, Cincinnati's a much better team than we're used to seeing, too. And Zach Taylor right now might be finding a way to actually keep his job because they're playing much better football than they ever have, but we'll get to that in a minute. Sorry, Cincinnati side of the ball, Joe Burrow No throw, no problem. Three touchdowns in this game, 271 yards, 19 of 29, did have the one pick, tacked on 20 yards rushing. He's going to hover around that top-12 quarterback range depending upon the matchup. And that's just where he's going to kind of be because he has all the weapons in the world. The one thing that's different, of course, this year is that because the Bengals' defense is actually... Probably the most underrated defense in the NFL, frankly. They've been playing well. And it wasn't just they dominated this game, but it was it's not just this game that the Cincinnati Bengals have played good defense so far. As a result of that, Burrow's not in the situation where he was last year, where he was throwing the ball 40 plus times a game, and that volume was keeping him top ten in quarterbacks for fantasy football purposes. That's not necessarily happening. But now he has the weapons. So he doesn't have to throw it necessarily that much to still be in that area and be a uh, streaming, a high end streaming option, let's say on a week-to-week basis. Jamar Chase, four receptions, 97 yards, six targets. T. Higgins also had six targets in this game, three receptions, 44 yards. Better days are ahead for T. Higgins. The problem is Tyler Boyd. One reception, seven yards, three targets in this matchup. Now, I know everybody wants to sit here and say, oh, well, it's Tyler Boyd. You can't drop him. He still has fantasy value. These three receivers can still eat because they play an up-tempo style of offense. Usage wise, it was pretty similar. I mean, he he played more snaps than T. Higgins, only had three less routes run. But the problem is, Jamar Chase is already so good. T. Higgins is really good. Joe Mixon, we'll get to him in a second. But at you know the pass catching, you have the running backs, you have the safety blanket there. A lot of mouths to feed. Tyler Boyd would get his value because he was just he was the safety blanket of the team on a team in which by the way, again, going back to was throwing the ball 40, 50 times a game because, you know, except the game script, they were always trailing. This team's not set up to do that. So if Tyler Boyd doesn't have volume, he doesn't have fantasy value. I'm going to hit this button, but it is going to come with a caveat.
1: Prepare to be flushed.
0: Yeah, I do think you can drop Tyler Boyd. Now, only if you have to which you might, we have some heavy bye week this week, we have bye weeks throughout, you might find yourself in a situation where you're trying to make a roster move. Who can you drop? You like all your guys. I think you can drop Tyler Boyd. There's no upside. There's no upside there. Boyd's fantasy value was a volume floor. It was never upside to begin with. If T. Higgins and Jamar Chase are both healthy, There's not enough volume for him to do anything fantasy note-wise, at least not on a consistency basis, and you're never going to know. If he does have a good game, he ain't going to be in your starting lineup when it happens. So, I honestly think Tyler Boyd, if you have to, if you don't have any other option, is a drop player, is a dumpable player now at this point. Now, I want to get into Joe Mixon. First things first, looks healthy, had a good game. 18 carries, 94 yards, 5 yards a carry. Five receptions, 59 yards, a touchdown on six targets. So obviously you love the overall usage. You love the workhorse RB1 type usage, which is what Joe Mixon was supposed to be getting all year long. Hasn't really gotten since week one, which is what I want to hit on. Samadjapreen obviously was out with COVID-19. So he may be back starting this week. Why they won't just let Joe Mixon be the workhorse guy? I don't know if it's because they're worried about injury or whatnot. But he's an RB1 if he actually gets the workhorse role. It shouldn't take Samaja Perrine, who's the definition of just a guy, being out for COVID-19 to allow Joe Mixon to get his receptions. It shouldn't take that, but it does seem to be the case. Now, Chris Evans, he actually had you know three catches, 49 yards, a touchdown in his own right in the passing game. He's more talented than Samaja Perrine, so it really should be him as the backup anyway, I think. But you know, whatever, neither here nor there. When Perrine comes back, Mixon's passing game is going to take a little bit of a hit. I don't know if that's just their way of giving him a breather or whatever. Mixon, to me, is a low-end RB1 who could have top-six potential if he gets consistently involved in the passing game like he was today, but that hasn't been the case when Perrine's been healthy. So we'll see exactly what happens there moving forward, but obviously, you know, Joe Mixon must start, and you love him getting the good matchups here, and... He's definitely healthy, which is what you want most of all. Flip over to the Lions side of the ball. Garbage man DeAndre Swift, man. Two weeks in a row now, he's boosted his fantasy value by getting a garbage-time touchdown in the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter. He was able to do it again today. Otherwise, it was putrid. I mean, 13 carries, 24 yards. It was bad. But he still gets five receptions. 43 yards, seven targets. The five receptions just seems to be like his go-to. It's, it's as consistent as it can be for Swift, which is why he's always going to have a decent floor, especially talking about half-point and full-point PPR leagues. Jamal Williams came in this game. We knew he was already a little bit banged up. He was questionable for this matchup, which is why Swift played so far ahead of him. 13 carries, Jamal Williams is four, and the continuation trend, which is definitely a trend now at this point because it's been four games in a row, it's all Swift and no Williams when it comes to the passing game, which is what you want for a Swift owner. Williams is still going to be involved. Williams, I think they're still going to use him a lot on first and second down. The good news is, is that you know Swift and Williams will both play in the red zone, so you don't have to worry about that. I just wonder if there's not a door opening for Swift to completely take over. Now, he's been working his way back from the groin injury. I think they've been trying to you know play with kid gloves, take it easy on him, make sure they don't re-injure anything. Because they need, without Swift, I don't know what kind of offense they're going to have. So I get that part of it. But this is also the third game in a row that, snap wise, Swift has dominated. Even before Williams was hurt in this game, Swift has dominated snaps the past couple of weeks. So I don't, I can't help but wonder if he might start to take over this game, be maybe more of a workhorse back than we expect. Now, I expect Williams to still be more involved next week, or at least when he's healthy, than he was today but there could be a little bit more volume heading Swift's way. I wouldn't be that surprised. He continues to be a low in RB1. Nothing changes for me there. TJ Hawkinson gets back on track. As I all told you, don't panic on TJ Hawkinson. He's still the number one dependable pass catcher of the Detroit Lions. Eight receptions, 74 yards on 11 targets in this game. What I had my eye on was the wide receivers. No Cephas, Tyrell Williams wasn't back yet. So I'm on Ross St. Brown was somebody was like, I kind of wonder if he might've gotten a ton of volume in this game. Now it wasn't bad. He had seven targets, five receptions, but only 26 yards. The problem that was bad is that Khalif Raymond also had seven targets in this game. So he didn't get to dominate the dominate targets. He wasn't a clear cut number one guy. I still think he has some sneaky value, some sneaky potential, I still think his volume could go up because we know what Khalif Raymond is. He's a nobody. But I don't know if he's ever going to make it into your redraft leagues. I don't know. Not until he gets utilized a little bit more. He has to start seeing double-digit targets on a consistent basis in this offense before he's going to be somebody that you can actually trust to play in your season-long leagues. Something I'll continue to watch, but I didn't like how Cleef Raymond was as involved as he was in this game. Look, Jared Goff's not a fantasy quarterback anyway. So we could talk about Dan Campbell throwing him under the bus or what his impact is on this offense. Fact of the matter is this. Detroit stinks. Goff's going to be a high-volume passing attack. All you care about is DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkinson. And maybe see if there's somebody else in the pass-catching group who shakes out like a St. Brown who finds himself getting consistently a lot of volume at some point this year too. Other than that, fantasy-wise, it's neither here nor there when it comes to Jared Goff and his play or lack thereof, basically. Or what's going on in the sidelines with his coach. So now let's talk about the Rams and the Giant game. Lack thereof. This is this is almost an identical game to the Cincinnati-Detroit <laughs> game as far as domination going. Rams defense really dominated this game. I mean, Daniel Jones, back to being a turnover. He hit three interceptions. He had a fumble in this game. I mean, he, he was... Fifty-one pass attempts, twenty-nine completions, two hundred forty-two yards, no passing touchdowns. Just one hundred percent complete, vintagely awful Daniel Jones. Which, unfortunately, at this point, you have to come to suspect, expect, to some degree. Kadarius Tony reaggravates his ankle injury. He's very much in question. Come week eight, or come week seven, I should say. Excuse me. And Sterling Shepard lined up in the slot. Anyway, this was the argument I was having with Chris. is Whoever gets to be the slot. And He thought it might be Kadarius Tony. I was saying it's definitely going to be Sterling Shepard, and it was. Even when Tony was healthy, Shepard was lining up in the slot. And once again, if Shepard's out there, he's been the number one wide receiver. 10 receptions, 76 yards off of 14 targets in this game. He's a dependable, I would say, low-end wide receiver 2, high-end wide receiver 3 when he's healthy in his offense because of how much volume he gets from Daniel Jones no matter who's on the field or not on the field for the Giants. So Shepard's going to be somebody that we're going to be looking to potentially play next week in your starting lineups. Might be even a must start for me. So you like that. Dante Pettis was the other guy involved, 11 targets, 5 receptions, 48 yards. Obviously, that's just a byproduct of no Slayton, no Galladay, and Kadari is getting hurt. So I'm not looking at, you know, anything else other than Shepard's usage. The fact that he's still the number one target when he's out there. And then we'll see when Galladay is able to come back or Slayton or Kadarius Toney. We'll keep you posted. Make sure you follow us on social media at belly of MDF show for the player news notifications. I'll keep you updated with. So the other thing everybody wants to you know, know is Devontae Booker. How did he do in spelling for Saquon Barkley, who's probably going to miss at least one more week, I'd imagine. 12 carries, 41 yards, 3.4 yards a carry. Four receptions, 28 yards. The fact is this, Booker got a workhorse level role. He played a three down back role. He did. He was utilized in the passing game. He got the majority of the carries. That's all you care about. I didn't like Booker in this matchup to begin with. But when Booker plays, you're hoping for a high floor. And if he scores a touchdown, you might get a decent fantasy day out of him. Because he's just a guy. That's all he is. But he's a guy who gets a heavy workload when he's put in this position to be a starting running back. So if Saquon doesn't play again next week, Devontae Booker can still be somebody you plug and play in your spot start in your lineup if you need to. You don't expect anything huge. You don't expect anything big. But you'll get, you know, you have a floor and if he scores, you'll have a decent fantasy day. All you really care about is making sure he's the one who got all the volume and he did. I know Elijah Penny wound up getting the touchdown again. Garbage time touchdown didn't matter at the end of the game. Usually that would be Booker's and Nine times out of ten, I would believe, in that in that scenario. We'll keep our eye on Saquon. I think there's some slight hope. Maybe he comes back this week. I think it's much more likely he comes back after this week, though. Misses misses one more game here. On the Rams side, Matthew Stafford continues to play well. 250 yards, four touchdowns in this game, one interception. And Cooper Cup reestablishing himself as the favorite go-to target of this offense. 12 targets, nine receptions, 130 yards, two touchdowns back to his elite top three wide receiver status. And Robert Woods goes back down to being eh, not utilized that much. He does score, but two receptions, 31 yards on five targets while you're watching Cooper Cup once again dominate. Look, did they have to do too much in this game? No. I mean, Stafford only threw the ball 28 times. They even brought in you know, the backup quarterback, John Wolford, for a couple of passes because they brought the second team in late in the fourth quarter because this game was already up. But it just continues to show Robert Woods. You're probably a wide receiver three unless there's a just a intent focal attention on getting you the ball any one particular game. And that's just it's not always going to happen. So I think you have to pick your spots with Robert Woods. I think it needs to be in game scripts in which you think the Rams might be in a, a shootout situation or at least a close game situation. But otherwise, I think Robert Woods is somebody who's not a must start in your lineup. Plain and simple. He doesn't naturally get targeted often enough by Matthew Stafford. Unless Stafford's pretty much told to. That much has has been made clear, especially by this game after Robert Woods had his performance, you know, a week ago. Darrell Henderson had a very nice game in this one. Two, Two receptions, 29 yards, a touchdown, three targets, and 21 carries for 78 yards and a touchdown. Not as efficient on the ground as you would have liked him to have been. I thought for sure he'd go over 100 yards rushing in this game, considering the matchup and considering how the game script went. Obviously, you're not going to complain about his fancy performance with two touchdowns. But he's been great. He's been consistent. And Sony Michelle is not a thing in this offense. At least not as far as just becoming a committee anytime soon. So as long as Henderson stays healthy, he's a low-end RB1, at the very least a high-end RB2. But you got to love it if you have Henderson right now moving forward. Uh, Tyler Higby, I'll make a quick note of him. Five targets, five receptions, 36 yards in this matchup. He's going to continue to be somewhere in that top 12-ish area. He still gets utilized, still runs the routes. He's still out there all the time. So nothing too much really changes for Tyler Higby moving forward other than you just know if he doesn't get a touchdown like many tight ends, he may not have a top 12 finish. All right, so what I want to do is I'll get one more word from our sponsor, and then we'll wrap up the rest of the games on the Sunday afternoon. So, everybody, stay tuned on the MD's Fan's Football Show. We'll be back with you right after this.
1: Your client's going away for 10 years. Unless, unless we swap first round picks.
0: Fantasy football draft season is upon us. It's time for you to put the PP back in the PPR league with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming just launched the new Performance Package 4.0. Don't neglect your balls like the Packers' front office has been neglecting Aaron Rodgers. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for kickoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. This will help you tame that Troy Palomalu in your pants. And good news for our international listeners. Their life-changing products are now available in Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. All with the 20% off and free international shipping when you use the promo code Fantasy today.
1: You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football
0: Show. Welcome back in, MD Nation. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, Talking about the Sunday afternoon recap of Week 6. Streaming to you live on social media at belly MDFF Show, and, of course, on the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel. Make sure you check us out after the show and subscribe to us on your favorite pod app, iTunes, iHeart, Google Play, or Spotify, Spreaker, wherever. And then make sure you hit us up again tomorrow, 10 a.m. We're going to go live on social media and on YouTube for the primetime recaps and the waiver Y report. And then we'll be back on again on the Unhinged Radio Network at sn.airtime.pro from 7 to 8 p.m. on Tuesday night. So let's finish up talking about these recap games and talking about the Packers and the Bears here coming out the break. 24-14. Packers are 5-1. and one. They're probably the most boring 5-1 and one team out there. Because a lot of the games they've won, if you look at it, they've been able to control them. Haven't had huge performances other than really one or two weeks here or there. Aaron Rodgers, 195 yards. He saves you because he gets three total touchdowns. One being a rushing touchdown. So he does wind up being a QB1 for you. But this is kind of the problem. Rodgers is not doing what he did last year. Chris likes to bring this up all the time. The Packers are just, they're a different offense than they were last year. Much slower paced. Now, that might be by design. By design, because they know their defense is not what it was a season ago. So, they're trying to do everything they possibly can to keep their defense off the field as much as they possibly can. Which is why they slow down the pace. But you slow down the pace, you kill some fantasy value. Particularly Rodgers. Now, it doesn't affect Aaron Jones too much. It doesn't affect Devontae Adams too much. Because that's still their offense, those two. But it does affect Rodgers because now he's not being as aggressive. He's not throwing nearly as much as he did. And that's why he's taking more of a hit. But he's still a top 12 quarterback every single week. So you're not going to bench him, but he may be, you know, he's not that number five, not the top, I shouldn't say number five, but top five guy that he was last year on a week-to-week basis. You'll have your big games. You can continue to start him, but he doesn't have as high of a ceiling. That's all. Aaron Jones had a nice game here, 13 carries, 76 yards, also tax on four receptions, for 34 yards, and a touchdown on four targets. Of course, the big narrative here is, well, A.J. Dillon had 11 carries, 59 yards. Taryn Jones is 13. Do we have a committee on our hands? So I, I'd still say no. I mean, look, A.J. Dillon's more involved than he was the first few weeks, That and that I think will be here to stay. But let's say he's getting 35 40% of the carries. Again, in this game... Didn't get a lot of them until the second half. Second, In fact, he pretty much got almost all of them in the second half when this game was well in hand for the Green Bay Packers. So they used him to close out. Now you can look at that one of two ways. They're like, all right, well, look, more times than not, they'll play against teams where they're going to be in it for all four quarters and won't we'll just get the chance to you know close games out like this, and therefore Aaron Jones will be irrelevant all four quarters. Or you can look at it as like, well, if the Green Bay Packers are winning, that kind of caps the ceiling of an Aaron Jones to some degree. Okay, fine. I go back to what I said last week, when everybody wanted to panic on Aaron Jones then. Maybe he's not a bona fide top five running back, but he's still a top eight running back. So how much value difference is it really? He's still a bona fide must start RB1 every single week because he gets the passing game work, and he did here. And everyone was up in arms like, oh, Matt LaFleur last week said he wanted to pass the ball more to A.J. Dillon. Well, A.J. Dillon didn't have one single target in this game. So, obviously, that plan, that comment, it didn't wind up coming to fruition and wasn't a danger whatsoever. Aaron Jones is still the best back. He will still get more carries than A.J. Dillon, nine out of ten times. And he will be more involved in the passing game. That's all you care about. He's an RB1. Don't overthink it past that. Now, is A.J. Dillon a top Handcuff, valuable handcuff, yes, absolutely. And if he continues to get more involved, there may come a point in time where he can be utilized as a, you know, a flex play, an RB three, if you need to. But I'm not. This is not a committee now. Devontae Adams four receptions, eight nine yards, five targets, one of his lowest targets on the year. He will be more involved in other games that are more competitive moving forward too. So let's talk about the Chicago side. It's a little more interesting here. So Justin Fields finally used his legs this week. Ran the ball six times, picked up 43 yards. Was still ter- He's a still a terrible passer. He's late on everything. He's late to make his reads. He's late to throw the ball. He's just late. Everything's late. And he's sailing balls too. I mean, his deep ball this week, there was a couple of them just like, who are you throwing it to? The interception he had at the back of the end zone. I mean, he overshot the receiver by 20 yards wasn't even close. So Fields has a long way to go as a passer, but if he can, if he starts using his legs like he started to in this game, we may be able to talk about Fields again as a fantasy asset, which he should be because he should be using his legs. And if he uses his legs and gets more into the flow of the game, he might actually become a better passer because then he'll get his edge, his juices flowing, the adrenaline flowing, because he'll feel like he's going to be a productive player. Sometimes it's what it takes. Someone's gonna get hit a couple times and get it going, get it in the game. Let the guy run. If he starts doing that more consistently, we may be talking about it as a fantasy asset. For now, you're still not playing Justin Fields. Al Robinson, seven targets, four receptions, 50, fifty-three yards. He's Robert Woods in my book. He's not a must start. You're only playing him if you absolutely have to. That's it. Darnell Mooney came away with the touchdown in this game, eight targets, five receptions, 45 yards. I actually think it's time for Darnell Mooney to be ranked ahead of Allen Robinson, but still not somebody that you want to start if you can have other options and even in his own right. The big thing would be Cleo Herbert. So what's interesting here is that Damian Williams uh, did not come off of COVID-19 today. And they worked out running backs. They worked out Duke Johnson and a couple of others. That signifies to me, it doesn't really seem like they expect Damian Williams to be back this week. Or at least they know there's a chance that he might not be back this week. Now, again, he tested positive for the virus. So he's got to show no symptoms. And he's got to test negative twice before he can get cleared. They seem to have at least, there's i bring the tea leaves here, there seems to at least be a feeling that that might not wind up happening. So keep that in mind. Because if that happens again, expect Khalil Herbert to once again be the workhorse back. And he looked good. And yes, it was a good matchup, but he generally looked like a good running back. I liked him a lot coming out of college. I always questioned how involved he'd ever be in the passing game, though. But he's a good runner. He's got natural vision, natural explosion, breaks tackles well, good balance. 19 carries, 97 yards, a rushing touchdown in this game. They tacked on two receptions, 15 yards on three targets. None of the other running backs were involved in the passing game or anything like that. Either just, you know, again, feels not being a very good quarterback, throwing the ball 27 times. But Khalil Herbert will be a must-start if Damian Williams is going to be out again. Now, if Damian Williams comes back, I would give Damian Williams an edge over Herbert because I expect him to be a little bit more involved in the passing game than Herbert would be and to get more of the carries. But Herbert would still be involved. So when Williams comes back next week, especially since they're playing Tampa Bay, he'd be no more than RB3. And because they're playing Tampa Bay, I don't know if Herbert would definitively be an RB3, even with workhorse load. He might be a low-end RB2 when you consider how many teams are going to be on bye. And he's getting a workhorse load. We'll see what my rankings come out later on in the week. But Herbert, somebody, something to be watched there if Damian Williams cannot go again. Now we dive into a blowout game. I, I couldn't believe it was a blowout. The Chargers and the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, the Ravens' defense had not played well until this game. And the Chargers' offense was humming. So for the Chargers to come into Baltimore and only be able to put up six points and the Ravens to be able to just dominate them the way they did was completely shocking to me. Lamar Jackson didn't have the fantasy game you want him to have, but he still played well from an NFL standpoint. Only 167 yards to the air, two interceptions, one of them wasn't his fault. One touchdown, tax on 51 yards on the ground. You're not worried about Lamar Jackson. Running back-wise, <laughs> so Devonta Freeman had been the odd man out, but then in this game, they, they activate Le'Veon Bell, who all... <laughs> All three running backs, Latavius Murray, Le'Veon Bell, and Devonta Freeman all got touchdowns in this game, believe it or not. Nine carries apiece for Murray and for Freeman. Bell had eight. Now, Bell only had 2.3 yards a carry. He actually got demoted back down to the practice squad today. I don't know if that means Tyson Williams gets to be activated next week. But at this point, I don't think it matters. Latavius Murray has been the most involved. So that's the running back. If you're going to own one Ravens running back, that's the guy you own and you're hoping he falls into the end zone. Outside of that, there's just no value to be had here. None whatsoever. Now. Mark Andrews. Get him to the end zone. One game gets to the end zone. The next game. Love it. Five receptions, 68 yards, a- one touchdown, six targets. Marquise Brown should have had a touchdown this game. Dropped it. Four receptions, thirty-five yards, five targets in this game. The big thing here is that Rashad Bateman came in. He has it was his debut, coming back off an of injury. Comes in and he takes over that Sammy Watkins role right away. And that was the question. That's what I wanted to see. Like, would they let him do that right away, or is he still getting worked back in? Well, apparently not. He had the second most snaps to Marquise Brown, second most route run, and he has six targets and more targets than Marquise Brown did. I'm not going to go as far as to say as Rashad Bateman's definitely going to be a thing, but he is fantasy relevant in an offense that's being much more aggressive passing the ball than they have been in years past. Now, Sammy Watkins is expected to be back at some point, so when he comes back, you know does Bateman just keep his role? I don't know. We'll have to see. Mar- Marquise Brown's role is not going to get messed with, and neither will Mark Andrews. Who winds up being that third pass catcher remains to be seen long-term obviously is going to be Rashad Bateman, but I don't know if it's definitely going to be the, the short term or not. When Watkins is back and healthy from his hamstring injury, we'll have to watch that and see how this comes to fruition as we move forward on the charger side of the ball. Look, crumple this game up, throw it away. There's nothing to take out of it. Herbert's going to be better than what he was. Austin Eckler definitely is going to be better than what he was. Mike Williams got banged up again in this game. We already knew he was banged up going into this game. They have the bye week next week. So, nothing for me from a fantasy standpoint changes. Michael Williams, I still think, is a wide receiver one with the way he's been playing, as long as he's healthy, which now he'll get a chance to be with the bye week there. And he was able to play in this game at least. Even when he got banged up, he came back in, and then, you know, this game was out of hand. So, he didn't play much. Keenan Allen will still be Keenan Allen. Austin Eckler will still be Austin Eckler. Jared Cook will still be a streaming tight end. Justin Herbert will still be a top twelve quarterback. There's nothing to take out of this game for the Chargers. It's crumpled up, throw it away, and hope for a better day after their bye week comes back. So let's wrap this thing up with the London game. Miami Dolphins, actual Jaguars, two-attack of comes back, loses the Trevor Lawrence, 23-20, it wasn't on Tua, though. Tua actually played really well, especially for his first game back, dealing with the rib injury. 33 or 47, 329 yards, two touchdowns, an interception. Consider there was no Devontae Parker, no Will Fuller. He's leaning completely on Jalen Waddle and Mike Isecki. Here's the problem with the Dolphins. That coaching staff is stupid. I like Brian Flores, but he needs to pull his head out of his butt, pick an offensive coordinator, and stick with them at least for an entire game. If you want to switch it up to see who's better from week to week, fine. But there's no cohesion in the play calling because you got both of these guys calling plays. There's no identity on this team. We are too far in the season for you to still not have an identity. We are too far in the season for you to still be screwing around with Malcolm Brown over Miles Gaskin. I know Miles Gaskin to fumble in this game. I don't care. Malcolm Brown doesn't solve anything for you. He solves no problems. Miles Gaskin coming off a game where he had ten receptions and two touchdowns. You need all the playmakers you can get because you have none right now with Parker and Will Fuller out. All you got is Waddle and Gasicki, and instead you decide to give Malcolm Brown as many carries as Miles Gaskin. And for Gaskin, in a game in which you had to come back from behind and were in a battle with the Jaguars, a good matchup for a pass catching back, by the way, and not even get him involved. Six targets, two receptions, five yards. It was completely pathetic on the Dolphins coaching staff. Now, for the fan, so Miles Gaskin goes, I, I ranked him at RB20. I didn't feel good about it. But you had to think against the Jaguars, and the usage that he had the week before, they would, I don't know, maybe stick with it. It's the most success they had of any of their backfields. But, you know, there's no logic going on right now offensively for the Dolphins. Here's what you like. As long as Parker and Wolflor are out, Waddle becomes a target hog. He's not going down the field at all, but he becomes a target hog. 10 receptions, 70 yards, two touchdowns in this game on 13 targets. I don't know if the touchdowns will always be there. But with the other two gone, he at least has some good upside in that area. You know he's going to have a safe floor because of the volume he's getting. And then Mike Gusecki. Tua tackle level was back, which always made us a little bit leery. With Mike Gusecki, they've always had not had the same page. But I mentioned this going into the week. Go back to last year when they had a bunch of injuries at the wide receiver position. Mike Gusecki was, by default, had to be one of the main pass catchers. Tua would throw to him then. Eight receptions, 115 yards, nine targets. Now, the only thing I will say that's interesting is Durham Smith, or Smythe, however you want to say that name, he actually played more snaps than Mike Isicki, and that's the first time that's happened since week one when two was on the field. I don't know what the correlation is there. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Now, of course, Mike Isicki still ran more routes, but Dermot Smith actually ran 24 to his 36. Like he was much more involved in this game. I don't know. It's because they just, you know, had a lack of pass catchers. And they played a lot of two tight end sets as a result in this game, but I just thought that was kind of interesting. I'm going to keep my eye on that. We can say like a Parker comes back and if a, and, or if a Wolf Fuller comes back, you know, what happens then? Is there something to that? Is there a correlation between two and what tight end gets to play? I don't know. Something to keep your eye on, but for now, they need Gasecki to be one of the top pass catchers because it's him and Waddle and nobody else. And just don't touch the running backs. Hold Miles Gaskin. I'm not going to say drop him again because we got to wait to see how this thing shakes out because something's going to have to change in Miami. But just hold on to him for now. You're not playing him. Jaguar star Trevor Lawrence has gotten better every single week. 319 yards passing, a touchdown, no interception in this game. Didn't use his legs the way he had been the past couple of weeks. But he is trending in the right direction, so it becomes a high-volume passing attack offense. And the Jaguars got back to sanity somewhat when they got 10 targets apiece to Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chenault instead of, you know, Jamal Agnew and Tavon Austin being the lead receivers like they were a week ago. Although Agnew is still heavily involved in this game. Six targets, five receptions, 78 yards. So with D.J. Chark out, I think what we can say for the rest of the year is that it's going to be Marvin Jones, LaVisca Chenault and then Jamal Agnew. The problem with that is this. Agnew is the slot receiver. So the value that I thought LaVisca Chenault might have with DJ Chark leaving because the extra target consolidation kind of goes out the window a little bit. It's a little bit of a balancing act. I still think he gets more targets, more volume on a week-to-week basis than he was getting before, but if it's going to be coming from the outside, they're not going to have him line up in the slot because Jamal Agnew has to be the slot receiver I don't really like LaVisca Chanel's consistency from week to week. His efficiency, because he's not really a good outside receiver, doesn't get off the line as well, especially for being a physical guy. It's surprising, but he doesn't, and affects it affects his ability to be a fantasy, you know, as fantasy relevant as he possibly could be. Marvin Jones seven receptions, one hundred yards, a touchdown. Look, if it's a good matchup on paper, which this was, especially with No. Xavier Howard playing for the Miami Dolphins. Jones is somebody you can play as a wide receiver three who you know has touchdown and big play upside and should more times than not be the lead receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Dan Arnold, five targets, two receptions, 27 yards, a little bit disappointing, but I do think better days are ahead. I do think he's a streaming option. And of course, James Robinson, great game, 17 carries, 73 yards, gets a rushing touchdown, tax on three receptions for 28 yards. Best thing is, Carlos Hyde, Hardly evolved at all in this game. This is James Robinson's backfield, and you can play him with confidence. That's going to do it for today's show, guys. I hope you all enjoyed it. Again, we'll be back tomorrow, 10 a.m., with the primetime recaps and the waiver wire report. And then again, from 7 to 8 p.m. on the Unhinged Radio Network at unhingesn.airtime.pro. Follow us along on your favorite pod streaming app. And make sure you follow us on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow. And, of course, subscribe to the YouTube channel. I'm Dan Manor, and I'll see you guys – well, I'll see you guys tomorrow, actually.